Welcome to Talking in Vain, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. I'm your host, Dawn Berend, the Infusion Nurse Educator for the INS. My guests today are Gary Warren and Mary Alexander. Gary Warren serves as President and CEO of IV Watch, the only provider of non-invasive continuous monitoring devices for the early detection of peripheral IV infiltrations and extravasations. He oversees all aspects of operations and strategic direction for the company. For more than 30 years, Gary has gained extensive experience with product management and delivery within a range of environments from small startups to large public companies as well as government programs. Gary holds a Bachelor of Science in Aeronautical Engineering from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University and a Master of Science from Mississippi State University in aerospace engineering and computational fluid dynamics. Mary Alexander has served as CEO of the Infusion Nurses Society and Infusion Nurses Certification Corporation since 1997. She is Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Infusion Nursing and the Core Curriculum for Infusion Nursing and INS's textbook, Infusion Nursing, an Evidence-Based Approach. In addition, Mary represented INS on the panel that revised the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Guidelines for the Prevention of Intravascular Catheter-Related Infections in 2011. She speaks globally on topics such as the benefits of the specialty practice of infusion nursing, the development of standards of practice, and improving patient safety. Mary and Gary, I want to thank you both for being with me and being my guests on today's INS podcast. Gary, my first question of today is for you. So IV Watch has a device that continually monitors an IV site for early detection of infiltration events. So let's first talk a bit about peripheral IV therapy and its potential for complications. Absolutely. Um, so thank you for that uh, wonderful introduction. Um, as you, uh, as you mentioned, my background uh, through my career is uh, a lot to do with engineering and fluid dynamics. So I kind of come at this from a uh, years ago from a, from a different viewpoint. But IV therapy, as we all know, is incredibly common. I mean, it's essentially the gateway to all healthcare delivery. If you get admitted to the hospital or go to an emergency room, the first thing they put on your finger is a pulse ox, and the second thing they do is usually start a peripheral IV on you. Um, but, you know, even the INS uh, has had a report come out in the last few years that 50% of peripheral IVs fail um, before IV therapy is completed. And of those, about 20 to 23% are due to infiltration and extravasation events. And what's interesting about that statistic is every time um, an IV leaks drugs outside the vein, it is a drug error by definition. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we've also seen in, in the hospitals with the years of research we've done is, you know, the standards say that we're not supposed to do vesicant drugs through peripheral IVs, but, you know, in life-saving and emergency situations, we have seen vesicants and irritants delivered through peripheral IVs, which can, you know, if they filtrate or extravasate, can lead to incredible complications for the patient. Yes. So how has the clinical work that's been conducted at IV Watch educated or surprised you about some of the common misconceptions about IV failure? So that's a great question. You know, when I uh, 
When I started uh, working at IV Watch about eight years ago, um, we started. Uh, we were doing some clinical work at uh, Cincinnati Children's Hospital, and I think everybody involved with the early development of a sensor to detect um, if an IV is actually leaking or not. Um, I know myself. Everybody was. We, we were thinking that you know it's typically a bad stick that happens, and so you know the tip of the catheter is poking through the vein wall. And and so you know what happens is is the nurse uh, a nurse or a clinician thinks they can check to see if an infiltration has happened by doing to see if they get a blood return when they draw back out of the catheter um, and to, to see if the IV is patent or not. Um, what we learned uh, in our clinical trials is that bad sticks it's actually a very small percentage of why. Um, infiltrations happen. I mean, what we, in fact, what we, um, what we found out was that most of the infiltrations happen hours or days, and, and the median time between what we've seen in our clinical trials, the median time between when an infiltration starts and when a clinician detects it is about 15 hours. And so when we saw that, I was shocked. I mean, I was like, how could that happen? And I don't think we have a bunch of clinicians that are running around going, oh, my gosh, I just don't want to pay attention to this. They're very hard to detect. So that was uh, that was one of the you know misconceptions was is that that there was you know basically this uh, it's always about the catheter tip and IV placement. Hmm. Okay. Okay. What is one of the things that's very exciting about the IV watch technology is not just that we can detect infiltrations early, but it gives us consistency in diagnoses. And so it's very hard to detect infiltrations, as I said, but now we have a tool that we can use to find out how infiltrate, you know, which patient had infiltrations, and then we can look back to see what happened to what caused those infiltrations. Mm -hmm. So IV Watch actually provides a tool to try to reduce how the, how many infiltrations are actually happening, happening in the hospital. So it's a, it's a very exciting tool to be used for, um, big data and, pulling that together to offer healthcare improvement. Okay. Okay. So the tool, Gary, so the tool will tell you the cause of the infiltration? Is that what you're saying? No, but think about this. Think about if, if you have a, a set of patients, but you have a particular clinician that you can actually look at, this clinician, I'm having more infiltrations happen compared to the average. And so sometimes there may be education involved or Maybe a certain drug that I'm infusing on patients, I see that there's more infiltrations happening with those particular patients on that drug. And so it allows you to kind of look back historically uh, um, at your infiltration data because it's a little, it, with, with a tool like IV Watch, it's more consistent, right? You have, you have the ability to know if that IV is actually infiltrated or not. It's not a, it's not a subjective um, uh, diagnosis. So you get, you're a little more sure that this, yes, this is an infiltration, but it allows you to look back at the data to find out why that happened and if there are any trends in between clinicians, drugs, etc. Okay. So my question to INS as a standards body is, do you see um, that infiltration is getting more notice uh, and definitions of a good or bad IV are facing more scrutiny within the profession? Um, thanks, Gary, for asking that question. I would say that infiltration has always been an IV-related complication that has received a lot of attention. 
um, especially since it's a common complication along with phlebitis that clinicians encounter quite a bit. And as you know, due to the nature of IV therapy, it's inherently risky and, as you mentioned earlier, can be associated with complications that are minor or life-threatening. Um, we see that our patients are sicker. We see them in all practice settings inside and outside of the hospital. The drugs are more caustic in nature being administered. And we're also seeing a move of using a lot of central vascular access devices that um, short peripheral catheters are being used. So there is more opportunity for untoward patient outcomes and the possibility of infiltration um, developing. Uh, nurses do recognize that the type and characteristics of the incisates contribute to the amount of damage that can, can occur, that can occur from infiltration. And Gary, to your point, there are many factors that influence the performance of a peripheral catheter of all time and the development of complications. And so knowing all of this, um, INS wants to ensure that nurses are competent and practice safely. So in alignment with uh, INS's mission, we do offer resources that help guide safe practice based on the current available data and research. And for example, um, the infusion therapy standards practice has a standard specifically addressing infiltration and extravasation, and that would be standard 46. We also have a companion reference, the uh, policies and procedures for infusion therapy. This also addresses the, um, this issue and provides steps for assessment and intervention if necessary. Um, INS also um, creates and develops position papers written by our INS members or subject matter experts, and this provides some more targeted information um, that our clinicians can use. And two uh, papers I'd like to point out that would be um, addressing how to prevent infiltrations would be, um, the first one would be the frequency of assessment of short peripheral catheter sites written by Gorski et al. in uh, 2012. And the second would be improving safety practices, which were peripheral catheters written by Viscara et al., published in 2014. And uh, both of these uh, references can be found on INS Learning Center or in the Journal of Infusion Nursing. So these are just a couple of the uh, resources that we do make available to um, aid in um, helping our clinicians in their day-to-day -day practice. Thank you, Mary. So, Gary, let's switch back over to you. I've got another question for you. What has been your experience in bringing a novel technology into the hospital setting, especially since manual examination by the nurse has traditionally been the method for IV assessment? So it's been a, a spectrum of, of responses. Um, you know, obviously, as technology in general progresses, you know, there's more focus on how can technology impact and, and provide better clinical outcomes and processes for patient care. Um, and so you have, you know, sometimes you have people that are very comfortable with the way things are. Um, and so there's, I always, right now, IV Watch, we are the only provider of non-invasive, you know, IV monitoring. Um, but you end up with, sometimes you end up with people who say, oh, 
I've never, we don't even have infiltrations in our hospital. I've never seen one. And if, I, if, I, if one happens, I'm sure I'll see it right away. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have people that like to embrace all the new stuff that comes out um, as well. So um, we, we see the spectrum of, of those things, but we've, we've conducted thousands, tens of thousands of hours of clinical work uh, that's been submitted to the FDA, and we've had, we have three FDA clearances. It shows, you know, the device works well. One of the dangers that we have to always try to avoid, though, is that, you know, the IV watch technology does not replace the clinician. Um, we're a tool. So it's kind of if you had a pulse oximeter you put on a patient and the pulse ox uh, gives you an alarm, you don't run into the patient with paddles, you know, right away. <laughs> um, IV watch is really something, it's, it's just another tool, right? It it's allows the nurses to look under the skin and see if the tissue is changing around that vein structure. Um, but we are, you know, IV watch is not like a Ronco oven of set it and forget it. Uh, and that's one of the dangers that we always have to, you know, make sure that doesn't happen, that, that nurses and clinicians don't try to make IV watch something that's not. It's really a tool to help with these assessments and gives you just another set of eyes and another set of data to make a decision if this IV is good or bad. Right, right, and I and I think too, um, you you may note that these things come with a bit of apprehension that that we're concerned that some critical thinking on behalf of the nurse would uh, kind of fall by the wayside. Yeah, we live in a world today. Um, I you know we say around our company we live in a Theranos world, right? Uh, and we're all familiar with kind of the the issue that happened with Theranos and the promise to, you know, get all your blood work done in a few drops of blood. But, you know, that that's not an anecdote. There are a lot of, you know, medical technologies that come to market and uh, promise all kinds of things. And then when they blow up like Theranos does, it just makes everybody more ap- apprehensive. Does this technology really work? And we see that in our business now. Most hospitals ask for an evaluation use the product as they would with a protocol and everything just to see it work in real time. And so that, I think that has changed over the last couple of years. I, I, we welcome that. It's for the better. I think data and clinical studies should be transparent to hospitals. They should be transparent to patients. Um, but that, that is definitely something we've seen in the market in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So this does sound like a great tool. I, I, oh, go ahead, Mary. No, I just wanted to state as well how important it is to his point as far as making sure that we don't lose the clinical judgment um, and the experience of of the nurses when they are using this tool. Um, it really is important. Um, technology and clinical practice, that can be a nice marriage there um, and a nice alignment between the two, but I do think they do need to be uh, closely aligned. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Gary, I'm going to ask you again. Let's continue this conversation. And it does sound like this is a great tool that can help the nurse. And we know that nurses are already tasked with so much during each shift. Um, but this tool can perhaps help improve safety and satisfaction for the patient. So, so let's turn our discussion that way a little bit. What might the patient think about um, this implementation? 
So I think there, in the implementations that we've done, there is definitely a patient satisfaction increase with the use of our product. I mean, if you think about a patient, um, you know, if the patient is educated, and most of them are today. I mean, it's amazing the uh, statistics we see from, you know, patient knowledge. It's, it, patients today, when they have an IV or have something, some illness, the first thing they do is they go to Google, right? <laughs> so they have a painful IV. They go to Google and type in painful IV, and, you know, all of a sudden they get back all this information. Um, so patient, patient satisfaction is is very important, and, and we've seen that. We've seen that in pediatrics, where when a, when a uh, when the, if your child is in the PICU and and the hospital puts a continuous monitor on that IV, it generally makes the parent feel better, um, and it also they they know that 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 hospital is really using the latest and greatest in technology. The issue that you have with just um, okay, you know, instead of doing continuous monitoring, that if you do spot checking. I mean, I, I use this analogy all the time. It's like driving down the highway, and you put your seatbelt on once every four hours for five minutes. And, you know, how is that going to protect you when the IV starts to infiltrate, right? Right. Um, so continuous monitoring of that IV is, is actually a very good, you know, a very good idea. Okay. So let me, let me ask you, have you heard from your members on the need for more education around infiltration and phlebitis and various IV complications and what steps have your members taken to help their patients advocate for themselves? Um, well, Gary, our, our patients are at the center of, of all that we do as infusion nurses and um, our members are lifelong learners, so they're always striving to look for um, information and education that's going to improve their practice. And um, certainly now we want to make sure that it's based on current research and data. Um, and um, our nurses are always looking for opportunities to get that information. So um, they take advantage of the resources that INS has to offer. For example, they attend our conferences and webinars. They listen to our podcasts, and we do have a lot of learning assets that um, they can um, take advantage of on our learning center. And when you're looking at, you know, how do we help um, our patients advocate, um, one of the things that infusion nurses that we are continuously doing is educating our patients, the families, and their caregivers. Uh, we want to make sure that they understand the types of um, catheters that they have in, the devices that are associated with them, uh, the purpose of that particular device, any risks associated with them, what are the potential complications, how do they identify them, and, and so forth. So uh, we are constantly making sure that our patients are actively engaged um, in their own care so that uh, we can make sure that we're going to minimize any we also understand that we are dealing with a much more um, educated patient population. Now, to your point, um, you know, our, our patients are looking for um, information um, in other other places. The thing we want to make sure is that they're getting the correct information that's going to make uh, make it such that they are going to have positive um, infusion experience. So we do make every effort to make sure that we involve our um, patients in that care. 
Yeah, I will. Um, one of the things that we did at IV Watch, you know, because of again the increasing uh, knowledge of, of healthcare consumers, is we started, um, you know, a vendor neutral site called MyIV.com, and if there's a lot of these disease awareness type sites that are out there, but what we found was there was nothing really dedicated that focused on the healthcare consumer to explain, um, you know, all the intricacies of IVs without, you know, and we're not trying to sell them anything on myiv.com. It's just really a patient education because when they go to Google or they go to Bing or whatever to do a search, we want to give them correct information, and we found that a lot of the online sites were more targeted towards clinicians as opposed to the healthcare consumers, and that that has really taken off. I mean, it's a, it's interesting as a as a IV supply you know a, a supplier of IV products. None of these companies really have tried to reach out and touch the patient to educate them. So myiv.com, we're trying to fill that gap a little bit. Maybe there's an opportunity for us to partner together on that on that site as well because it's just really, again, vendor-neutral and patient-centered. So, Gary, again, I want to come turn our conversation back to you one more time. Um, what are the efforts that your company is making to promote changes in care standards and to integrate infiltration and extravasation event monitoring into everyday cl- clinical practice? So we have a great uh, team of people at IV Watch, both um, you know researchers, engineers, um, all the way to our operations, manufacturing, and salespeople. Um, and our goal, our number one goal, is to solve this problem. And the way we're going to do that is we have to make it very easy. So you know we're, we work with a lot of partners right now um, in the infusion space. And the IV site and the peripheral IV catheter, we believe, has really been ignored for a long time. And with the, you know, with technology as it rolls out, there's really an opportunity to instrument the patient using the IV site and, you know, reduce these complications and solve this problem. You know, as we tour the world, um, and, and we are now launching this product outside the U.S. as well, I mean, we just keep seeing these horrific pictures over and over again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my goal is in five years that when I type in IV infiltration or IV extravasation in Google, those pictures aren't there anymore. And uh, we have a great team of people working with technology and hospital partners, everybody just trying to solve this problem. Um, very good, very good. So. Um, Gary, do you have any other closing remarks before I switch back over to Mary? No, I'd just like to thank you for um, the opportunity to to talk about what we're doing um, as well as INS. Um, I know that, uh, you know, we continue to work with all of our partners. We'd love to continue working with INS, again, just to solve this problem and develop great products um, that are easy to use and uh, accurate, reliable, and and help help patients. Very good. Thank you. Mary, I'd like to hear your closing remarks on today's discussion. Sure, Dawn. Um, And thank you, Gary, for um, all the information that you had and the insight that that you have brought and the attention to this um, certainly common problem that we see that uh, we can also prevent, I think, moving forward. Um, INS does recognize and appreciate 
the role that technology places in ensuring that the best infusion care is delivered. And we're very happy to share with our members new and novel products that they may consider to support their professional practices. But as an organization, INS does remain neutral regarding product promotion. We believe it's the responsibility of the clinician and his or her organization to determine what's the best product to meet the needs of uh, the organization and those of their patients. And while technology has advanced our clinical practice, we must not forget that as nurses, we're accountable for managing all aspects of our patient's care. It's helpful that devices such as IV watch will warn us of an impending infiltration. However, I can't, ex ex I can't stress enough the importance of nursing assessment and patient feedback. So I do believe, as I said earlier, that there is a, uh, a marriage between um, practice and technology, and I think it's important that we uh, make sure that we've got the right balance uh, with the two. Couldn't agree more. Very good. I want to thank both Gary Warren and Mary Alexander for being my guest today on Talking in Vain, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. Um, this has been a great discussion, and we'll look forward to hearing more in the weeks, months, and years ahead. Thank you so much to our audience for listening.